Embarking on multi-engine training marks a thrilling chapter in any aviator's journey. Pitch yourself surrounded by two engines, each offering some extra horsepower, an array of levers and switches, perhaps even additional seats and an overhead panel. However, the excitement of dual engines also brings with it a heightened potential for drama, and any mishandling can lead to catastrophic consequences. In this episode, we're going to delve into some recent accidents in America and examining the pertinent issues surrounding them. All that and more coming right up. So strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to episode 112 of the Flight Training Australia. From Querreting to Corn, Quandong to Quindy, and everywhere in between, this is the podcast all about flight training and flying in Australia and beyond. I'm your host, Trent Robinson. G'day. How you going? Bet you didn't think I could come up with enough Q aerodromes, did you? But there you go. <laughs> all right. Big episode today. Lots to talk about. Um, but uh, first, I just want to pass my condolences to the family of the young fella who uh, tragically lost his life last week in Camden. Just terrible. As always, we need to wait for the official reports to find out what happened, as uh, we can all guess and uh, examine, you know, the, the data that's available. But there isn't much else known at this time, and I just feel—I don't know—I've mentioned it a few times now that we're starting to just see a few too many incidents and accidents in the news. And so, I just put a call out to everyone, you know, just to slow down, focus your energies on keeping yourself your crew, your passengers uh, safe and make sure that we all go home. Whatever happened, some form of loss of control has clearly taken place. A few episodes ago, I mentioned I was going to discuss the apparent increasing rate of multi-engine incidents in the, in the US and whether this was a stall, spin or spiral style accident, then uh, whilst they're all different causes, they had a similar outcome, an uncontrolled descent into the ground. So, Let's have a look at some of the accidents that I've been referring to. And I'm sure most of you who uh, spend some time online and YouTube and that sort of thing have seen these. Um, sort of in order, but not in any particular order. Um, there was a Cessna 310 departed out of Santa Fe. VMCA takeoff accident, engine failure, uh, high density altitude, didn't get a lot of height and uh, crashed into the ground soon after takeoff. A Seminole at Newburgh in Oregon, two fatal, uh, serious injuries to a third on a training flight. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the videos of that Seminole spinning into the uh, housing area of a nearby suburb. Uh, that was a training accident. A Cessna 310D, uh, engine trouble, low power on one engine. The pilot decided to return and on final approach, the left engine either went to idle or lost all power followed by the sound of the stall warning. The aircraft then immediately rolled left and impacted onto the ground short of the runway. Thankfully, most likely due to the low-level point of entry, the pilot survived. More recently, in December, there was another Baron uh, doing VMCA or VMC training. At about 5,700 feet, the pilot lost control, entered the spin and called for help on the radio, maydaying that they were in a spin. The aircraft impacted on the ground and both were fatally injured. And then finally, most recently, uh, just a few weeks ago, an aircraft again on another training flight conducting turns on the, uh, the radar 
and then appeared to configure for a stall or possibly a uh, engine failure drill. The aircraft then entered a rapid descent, impacting the ground. Eyewitnesses observed this aircraft also into a nosedive and then corkscrewing to the ground, most likely a spin event. The flight instructor, the commercial pilot, student, and the passenger who was the owner of the company were all killed. So I'd just like to take this moment, first of all, just to send my condolences to the friends and family of all those affected by these tragic accidents. And again, whilst the findings aren't finalised, I believe there is plenty we can learn already from the possible outcomes. And there's lots of us to dissect, irrespective of what the actual cause of these incidents were. I think it's well worthy of discussion. So I'm using these to prompt the discussion. However, I'm not going to be trying to dissect what exactly happened on each individual flight. So firstly, before we go any further, for those of you who aren't multi-engine qualified yet, those who are in training or those that probably need a bit of revision, here's some terminology we need to review, and I'm going to use this all uh, throughout the episode. OEI, one engine inoperative. So simply meaning one engine is shut down. Now, we're only dealing with light twins in this discussion, so we're not getting into three and four engine aircraft. VXSE, so we're hopefully all familiar with VX, which is best angle of climb. So VXSE is best angle single engine. Similarly, VY, best rate. VYSE is best rate single engine. Now, this is typically marked with a blue line on the airspeed indicator. And some aircraft have a range of blue line speeds dependent on weight. If that's the case, then the maximum weight takeoff speed is the one that's going to be marked on the airspeed indicator. Next one is VSSE, or the Safe Intentional One and Operative Speed, originally known as Safe Single Engine Speed. It's the minimum speed to intentionally render the critical engine inoperative, factored to provide a safety margin for intentional asymmetric training operations. In other words, Practice engine failures should never be simulated below this speed. And I'm going to use reference to this one quite often. Critical engine. Now, some twin engine aircraft, or the majority these days, have standard engines in which they are American built. So from the cockpit, they rotate clockwise. What this means is if you've flown a high performance single engine aeroplane, you'll be familiar with the thing called asymmetric blade effect or P factor. And in essence, that is the downgoing blade has a higher angle of attack than the upgoing blade. Right? I won't go into why now, but you can uh, go look that one up if you're unfamiliar. But what this means is the right-hand engine's downgoing blade is furthest away from the longitudinal axis of the aircraft, which means it has a greater thrust arm than the left engine. Therefore, the left engine's failure will most adversely affect the controllability of the aircraft and that makes the left engine the critical engine. All right, now, you might have mentioned, or you might have heard me mention, rather, VMC or VMCA in the uh, opening section there with the incidents. This is not visual met conditions, right? This is a velocity minimum control speed. Usually, VMCA or velocity minimum control air. For larger aircraft, there can also be VMCG, which is a ground control speed, right? But that's not going to be applicable to what we're talking about. So what is VMC or VMCA? All right. It is currently defined by the FAA as the calibrated airspeed at which following the sudden critical loss of thrust, it is possible to still maintain control of the aeroplane. CASA say that VMC 
is a speed that is associated with the maintenance of directional control during asymmetric flight. So I do find these both uh, slightly undercooked as I feel whilst they're correct, there could be a bit more in the description to help really understand what's going on. Now, interesting enough in all the research I've been doing for this episode, the former FAA definition was a bit better and more along the lines of what I teach. So VMC was previously defined as a calibrated airspeed at which when the critical engine is suddenly inoperative, it is possible to maintain control of the airplane with that engine still inoperative and thereafter maintain straight flight at the same speed with an angular bank not more than five degrees. So a bit more wordy and uh, certainly one that matches what needs to happen. But as I will mention later on, I prefer the word directional control, and that's what we'll come back to in a little while. Now, this definition, it still applies to aircraft certified under the different regulations. There is no requirement, however, though, for uh, the airplane to be capable of climbing at this airspeed. This is purely directional control that this is all about. All right, so when we get to this is the minimum speed at which I can keep the aircraft straight with essentially near full opposite rudder. All right, VMC is typically marked on the red radial line on the airspeed indicators. So we've got a, a V&E, which is the maximum speed for the aircraft. At the bottom end of the scale, well, not quite at the bottom, but near the stall area there, you'll see a red line, which is VMC or VMCA. So what it essentially means is if the pilot flies below this speed, the tail fin and the rudder are unable to generate enough lift, or in terms we more understand, effective deflection, to prevent the aircraft from yawing. If uncorrected, effects controls 101, secondary effective yaw is roll, the aircraft nose will then drop, it will then rapidly assume a spiral descent or a dive, and if the aircraft is at low attitude, it won't uh, be recoverable usually, and it will impact steeply into the ground. This type of accident is not uncommon in a multi-engine aircraft during training or actual engine failures. VMCA is a specific speed that is established for the aircraft certification requirements. And this is the problem with VMCA and VMC. You notice I've been using both terms. The reason is that with regard to a particular aircraft, VMCA is the specific published speed for certification. Whereas VMC is actually the speed on the day. It can be a range of speeds, depending on your altitude, power settings, your aircraft configuration, your weight, all that sort of thing. So I'm not going to try and do a whole VMC briefing here, although it won't be far off it. But in short, for an aircraft to be certified by the company, for it to get FAA approval, the uh, VMCA speed needs to be established. Now, naturally, the manufacturer wants to get this as low as possible. So this is all fully done under controlled conditions. And they're looking at things with the aircraft being configured with maximum takeoff power, the uh, propeller windmilling with takeoff pitch, so full fine, and that's the critical engine failed, most unfavorable center of gravity at max takeoff weight. This is an aft center of gravity. Landing gears retracted, wind and cow flaps, sorry, wing and cow flaps in the takeoff position being trimmed for takeoff and airborne and out of ground effect. So what does that all sound like? just after takeoff, when we're at the most vulnerable. So it's important to understand, however, that the lowering of the wing up to five degrees towards the live engine, or as we like to say in training, five to live, 
and keep the balance ball half a ball width from the center to the lowered wing is also required to achieve this speed, somewhere up to five degrees. Now, different aircraft, some can be three degrees, some be four, some be five degrees. The thing to note is failure to perform this procedure can increase the minimum control speed of the aircraft. And here lies the problem with VMCA training and just VMCA incidents in general. It's not a set speed. Well, VMCA is, but VMC isn't. All right, on any given day, the speed can increase or decrease. So sometimes the changes are favorable, sometimes they're not. And we have no VMCA speed indicator uh, for today's conditions. We don't know what it is. We only know the published figure. So back to five to live, as I said, some POHs in the past had not published what angular bank was used to achieve the published speed. For example, flight tests in an instrument-rated uh, Cessna Conquest showed that with published VMCA of 91 knots, if the aircraft was flown in asymmetric flight, full power, wings level, minimum control speed increased to 115 knots. That's an increase of 24 knots. Similar to this, a horrible accident that uh, many of you listening may be aware of in 1991 was the RAF Boeing 707 accident in Port Phillip Bay, where VMCA was published at 117 knots with five degrees of bank. However, without bank, it was some 30 to 40 knots higher, nearly 160 knots. It's important to note, unless otherwise noted, when V speeds are given in the POH or the AFM, they apply to sea level, standard day conditions, and max takeoff weight. And there are a bunch of things that can affect these speeds. And this is always something we need to be mindful of, just like stalling speeds. The other problem is speeds may be stated in statute miles per hour or knots, can be given in calibrated airspeed, indicated airspeed. So as a general rule, newer manuals show V speeds and knots indicated. Some V speeds are also stated in knots, calibrated, right, to meet certain regulatory requirements. Wherever possible, the indicated is the information we have in front of us, the airspeed indicator. They are the speeds that we should be referencing and applying to our flying. Now, during the process of a multi-engine class rating, VMCA training forms part of the emergency recovery training as well as engine fire drills themselves. This is essentially done in the worst case scenario or the worst time that we can have an engine failure and resulting loss of control. And that configuration is just as I described just after takeoff. So let's have a look at what happens when an aircraft reaches VMCA. Now to enjoy, induce a spin in an aeroplane, a stall condition is necessary. This occurs when a yawing moment is introduced at the stall usually through rudder input or in our case, asymmetric thrust on one uh, live engine. So spin awareness is crucial during VMC demonstrations, stall practice, slow flight, and conditions of high asymmetric thrust, especially at low speed and high angle of attack. Notably, single engine stalls are obviously not covered in multi-engine training. So hopefully I've painted enough of a picture that VMCA is not something to be messed with especially because we really don't know what the speed is on each given day. Now, one more speed we need to consider is VS, leading into what I just talked about with spins, VS being stall speed. VMCA is typically above VS, which means if we reach VMCA, we would have a wing drop and a resultant spiral dive, not a spin. All right, remember this for later. 
So to mitigate against real VMCA training accidents, simulated engine failure should never occur below the safe, intentional one engine and operative speed. What was that one again? That's right, VSSE. So if VSSE is not published, Blue Line or VYSE, our minimum or our maximum best rate single engine speed should be used. We do not go below that speed. Outside of training scenarios, the aeroplane is only operated there briefly, basically during takeoff and the final stages of landing. For spin avoidance during engine failure practice, instructors should closely monitor the airspeed and angle of bank the students are using to execute maneuvers. Vigilance during stall and slow flight practice is essential. While forward center of gravity improves stall and spin avoidance characteristics, it doesn't eliminate the hazard. Remember, the worst case scenario was an aft CFG. Now, the thing to remember with this as well is we go out to practice engine failures. But remember, we don't know when real engine failures are going to happen. And this is why when we go to fly twins and to an extent single engine aircraft, we go to great mitigating practices to ensure that we keep the aircraft in a controllable situation as much as possible. We only go outside these envelopes when we need to. So during VMC demonstrations, instructors should watch for impending stalls as students may focus on directional control overlooking a stall indications. And if it can't be demonstrated under the existing conditions, then a rudder blocking technique may be used for training purposes. Now, I don't let students do a VMCA entry and recovery. It's something we used to do long ago, but basically now I only use a demonstration method. I'll show them and I'm going to go through what I do in a minute, but the student doesn't actually do this, but in the States they do. So as few twin engine aircraft actually undergo spin testing, spin recovery techniques are based on available information. If a spin indeed does occur, manufacturers recommend promptly retarding both throttles to idle, applying full opposite rudder, and applying full forward elevator stabilizer or stabilator, sorry, pressure simultaneously. Maintaining these positions until the spin stops, then adjusting the controls as needed. It's basically your standard spin recovery. Asymmetric spinning is not something we conduct or train for and the characteristics, therefore, are largely unknown as a result. So it's for all these reasons that I, and hopefully the majority of Australian instructors to my knowledge, teach a VMCA demonstration through methods of a bit of theatrics and simulation. What do we do? Well, the aircraft is configured for VMC, as we discussed earlier. However, there's some factors in there that we can't change. We can't change our center of gravity, our takeoff weight, unless we're already fully loaded. So the gears retracted, the flap set for takeoff, critical engine is simulated failed in windmilling and not feathered, and the live engine at full power. The aircraft is then slowly pitched up and kept straight with rudder. As this happens, naturally the airspeed is going to decrease, and this is where my def definition for VMCA varies slightly, which comes more into line with the CASA manual of standards. A multi-engine competency is to maintain directional control in the event of an engine failure initially within 20 degrees and thence 5 degrees thereafter. Now let's just talk about control for just a minute before we come back to the scenario. What is your definition of maintaining control of an aircraft? If the wings are level, height maintained, and the heading is slowly drifting left or right, is the aircraft in control? Some would say yes, because it's not descending or spiralling towards the ground. 
However, the aircraft is not going where you want it to. This is called uncommanded yaw, which will eventually become an uncommanded roll. This aircraft is now out of control. It is not doing what you want it to do. So the definition for VMCA forms part of our 20 degrees. We need to keep the aircraft within 20 degrees. Once it goes beyond 20 degrees, we have said to have lost control of the aircraft. Regardless of how uh, scary or violent or whatever that may seem at the time. All right, so back to the demo. As our airspeed reduces back towards VSSE, rather than increasing the rudder to keep the nose straight, we start to reduce it, allowing the aircraft to slowly yaw and secondary roll towards the dead engine, looking like an actual VMCA incident would. Right, as we arrive at VSSE itself, rudder input is all but released. The aircraft enters a wing drop, asymmetrically thrusting into a roll to the left or right, but typically it's going to be the left because we've done the critical engine. However, the key difference is we've got airspeed and a safe margin well above VS and VMCA. After that, it's a typical three-step spiral dive recovery. Close the power on the live engine, roll wings level first, and then raise the nose to just above the horizon. Positive rate, commence an asymmetric climb out. Remember, we're one engine and operative after all. Why not roll and pull the nose up at the same time? Well, that has the potential to run into a rolling G overstress. That's a whole nother conversation. So in review of the information we have thus far with the accidents in the States, there is a subtle difference in the potential recovery. Due to the high altitude of the airports across the United States, you typically want to be not below 3,000 AGL for these demos. This places aircraft at five to 7,000 feet in some locations. The Baron, for example, recommends being not below 5,000 feet for this manoeuvre. As altitude increases, air density decreases. This results in less airflow, less manoeuvrability and less yaw, and the VMCA speed or the speed at which we're going to lose control of the aeroplane, is reduced. This means it's actually reduced below the stall speed. So as I said earlier, this in turn means instead of a spiral dive, the aircraft is now going to enter a spin. And this is what we've seen in some of these incidents. The interesting thing in all this is, to my knowledge, Australia hasn't had a VMCA training accident in a long time. Possibly not since 1991 and the 707 accident. The mitigations that I've been describing is a reason for this. The other is in training, there's just simply no reason to be anywhere near VMCA. VYSE or Blue Line is the absolute minimum asymmetric speed that should be flown even if this means you're descending. Just as with a single, there's no such thing as stretching out the glide. The performance left, even though it may be negative, needs to just be used to have an outfield landing. The key here always is you can't have performance without control, but you can have control without performance. Just have a think about that for a minute. So you can't be climbing if you're out of control, i.e. below VMCA, but you can have VMCA control, minimum control speed, without performance, i.e. VYSE or climbing. Even if it's negative performance, it's something. We keep the wings level, we maintain directional control, we can put it down somewhere. As soon as we drop the nose, drop a wing and start pointing towards the ground, 
but usually will not have the height to recover safely. So instructors listening, keep doing what you're doing. If you're an instructor overseas, hopefully some of this has uh, helped and, and I'm hoping that the FAA review some of their uh, documentation. Looking at the uh, brochures and things that I downloaded in VMCA training, one of the things uh, they have there is practice makes perfect and VMC recurrent training will prepare you for engine failures. I've got to say, and who the hell am I to make a call against the FAA, but I would honestly have to say I completely disagree. Engine failure drills 100% will make you safer and must be maintained. But do not go below blue line. It's as simple as that. Don't go below blue line. You won't have to worry about VMCA. And when we talk about the full VMCA brief and asymmetric flight reasons for gear up versus down, you may have picked up, well, hang on, I thought gear down was worse. Well, there's reasons for that. But again, you'll get that from your instructor, hopefully, when you have a chat. But we need to just not be doing these drills that just don't have relevance anymore. By all means, jump in a simulator, do it there. You can do whatever you want. We can do rotate cuts, V1 cuts, all these things that simulators have been built for so we can get better exposure and better training of all these things. But right now, VMCA training uh, down to VMCA or close to it has no place in a uh, multi-engine aircraft in real life. All right, so that wraps things up. I hope you got something out of that and uh, found it insightful. It's, it's a subject matter that I'm very, very passionate about, as you can probably tell and something that I've been teaching and training for a long time now and uh, just won't compromise on. CASA originally, um, you know, twin ratings were sort of getting given out of Wheaties packets and treated like a single engine upgrade. You go out, do some general handling. Oh, by the way, this is what an engine fade looks like and shoot some circuits and off you go. Then the cap came out and uh, changed the, the, the outline and refocus of what was required and the incidents had a positive effect where they reduced and knowledge and uh, all that also increased so what well under CASA for that I think it's a really great move and uh, we're definitely seeing a positive outcome on that one alright guys fantastic that's it I'm done have a fantastic week be safe as always if you'd like to know more you know where to reach me all the social media uh, links are in the episode description Thank you, everyone, for the messages uh, that you've been sending as well. I've had some absolute pearls the last few weeks, uh, including people who have uh, tailored just messaged me recently today saying that he's uh, been listening for about four to five months now and just took his first lesson after being inspired by that. And that just, yeah, fills my heart. So that's awesome. So thank you for that. And, um, yeah, look, that's enough of me gibbering on. I will see you next time. You know where. And blue skies, remember the golden rule. Aviate. Navigate, communicate. Cheers, everyone. Mm-hmm.